I read an article the other day about Goshen College. I don't know where it is, but it's Goshen College. I have no idea where it is. What I do know about Goshen College is that it is a Mennonite church, Mennonite church institution, which is a historic peace church. And it describes itself as, Christ, as a Christ-centered institution of higher learning, committed to the core values of passionate learning, global citizenship, compassionate peacemaking, and servant leadership. Now, what was interesting about this particular article, it was the article in which, for the first time since they started playing collegiate sports, that during a, before a baseball game against some other college, the band played the national anthem before the game. Now, that may not seem as something strange to you, but for the people of the Mennonite church, that is a strange thing to do. So the president of the college then addressed, addressed the community, and he said that at Goshen College, our entire learning process is framed by a commitment to address complex problems, no matter what the discipline is. And then he went on to say the crux of the matter has to do with our relationship with God and with our country. And we can be asking ourselves questions. How faithful should Christians be in ordering their allegiances? How do we celebrate the freedoms and opportunities of this country and still challenge the injustices that also exist in our midst? And he said, and how does a church college retain its historic peace heritage while welcoming an increasingly diverse student body from all sorts of tradition? The president, while he was doing all of this, he had noticed that there were people there, who, students whose parents or grandparents were conscientious objectors and who had grown with a deep suspicion of patriotic observances. He also said there were pacifists there who had no quarrels with singing the national anthem. He said there were students there whose relatives served in the military and proudly showed the U.S. flag in honor of their services. He said there were students there who are children of new immigrants who loved this country for the freedoms they had given their families. And he said then there are also international students gathered here for whom the Star Spangled Banner has not a whole lot of meaning to them. They had this discussion. And it seems to me that that's an important discussion for all of us as we celebrate this weekend. I think today, today and tomorrow, we celebrate our dual identities as people of God and citizens of this country. And we are all having to come face to face with the ambiguities of carrying dual citizenships. Today is Sunday, a sacred day to us Christians when we gather together in a sense to pledge allegiance to the God in whom we believe. And tomorrow is Independence Day. I prefer to call it Freedom Day a national holiday set aside to celebrate the founding of our nation. If there was ever a moment when our dual identities came into direct contact, this is it. None of us gathered here are ignorant to the history and complexity of the American national identity. Our identity was born out of revolution constituted with words and phrases like liberty and the pursuit of happiness, but it was also founded upon actions of gross violence and injustice to native peoples and to enslaved Africans. Our history, to say the least, 
is a history of things that we can be proud of and things of which we should not be proud of. It is a time to have actions to celebrate as well as actions to mourn. For all these 200 plus years, all of us people, all faithful people have to wrestle with this dual, dual citizenship. I'm normally a uh, scripture-based preacher following the lectionary, but I have to tell you that the lessons for today did nothing for me. <laughs> so I had to go to chapter 20 of Luke's gospel, jump a few chapters, and that's the, the passage, chapter 20, verse 25. When Jesus is confronted by the people who come to him and they ask him the question about paying taxes to Caesar, and Jesus responds, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. I've never thought of that as a treatise on church-state relations or on the duties of being a Christian, but I have to tell you that it's one of the more important passages in Scripture for me because it always asks the question, what is my role, what is our role as people of faith as we pledge allegiance to God and we also pledge allegiance to this country? When I was in Patterson, New Jersey, whenever they gave me a Sunday off, I would go to the Riverside Church, and while I was there, the pastor at the Riverside Church was William Sloan Coffin, who became one of my favorite preachers. And I was there one time for the July the 4th weekend, and he talked about that there are three kinds of patriots in this country, and he said there are two bad patriots and one good patriot. He said the bad patriots are the uncritical lovers of this country. The other bad patriots are the loveless critics of this country. And he said the only good, the only good patriots are the ones who carry on a lover's quarrel with their country, a reflection of God's lover's quarrel with all the world. Uncritical lovers of this country. You know who they are. You know who we are. Love it or leave it. You ever heard that? That is the uncritical lover of this country. I have to tell you that I almost got fired from a church as the rector of a church because I stepped into that landmine in the middle of the life of the church. It was St. Paul's Church in Patterson, New Jersey, and when I got there, I was a really young guy, I want to tell you. I was in my early 30s. I didn't, this is my first time being the pastor of a church. I didn't know a whole lot, to be honest with you, but I knew enough to know that what they were doing on Sunday mornings was a mixture and creation of what now someone called American civil religion. And so during the offering, when it was time for the offering to come up front to the church, uh, the ushers would come up with the money, and we would sing the part of hymn 380, Praise God from whom all blessings flow, the last verse of that hymn. And then immediately after that, we would start singing the Star Spangled Banner. And as the Star Spangled Banner was being sung, out would come the acolytes with two American flags to flank the altar. And I thought to myself, I think we're confusing symbols here. I think we're confusing what we are doing here on this particular Sunday morning. And I thought it was one of the bad examples of American civil religion. And so, naive as I was, early 30s, I decided we needed to have a parish meeting to talk about mixing of symbols or not mixing our symbols to be clear that the symbol of the church is the cross and the empty tomb and the symbol of our country are the flag and its national anthem. Well, I stepped on a landmine. And I want to tell you, the reaction from the uncritical lovers of this country was harsh, 
and it was quick. And while we were gathered at that meeting, they all knew that I'm an immigrant to this country, and they immediately said, in this country, we vote on everything. I bit my tongue and said, well, you vote for representatives who then vote on things, but that's not exactly what I did. <laughs> but it was encountering the uncritical lovers of this country. And from William Sloan Coffin's perspective, as well as mine, they are bad patriots. The other ones, of course, are the loveless critics of this country. Some while ago, I was gathered with an individual and while we were breaking bread over lunch, this individual started getting very worked up and he started talking about how he loathed this country, how he hated this country. And he went on and on and kept talking about how he loathed this country and how he hated this country. From my perspective, that was the loveless critic of the United States. As many of you who, know, who are members of this church know that I'm an immigrant to this country, and in the year 2000, I had an opportunity to travel back to Cuba, the birth of where I was born. And while I was there with a group of people from the church, I went there on that trip, not really knowing what my feelings were going to be, traveling back to my birthland after 40 years. But when I, got, when I gathered there, there were a couple of things that happened. One of them was that uh, all the Cuban people speak Spanish like I speak Spanish. It's a bad Cuban Spanish. And I have to tell you that I was glad to hear, the, I was glad to hear the accent, I was glad to hear the expressions, I was glad to hear every, the inflections of the words and everything else, and I thought, oh my God, I'm among my people. The next thing I noticed was that all the smells were the smells of my childhood, and I recognized all of the smells. And then we went somewhere and we were by the beach, and I said, well, God was in a very good mood when we created this part of the world because it is so absolutely beautiful here in Cuba. And as the week went along, there was another revelation. And the other revelation was, this is my birthplace, but my country is back there. Home is in Washington, D.C. Home is where my wife is. Home is where our daughters are. Home is where I have chosen to make my life. Home is the United States. I have to tell you that when that person said that he loathed this country, I couldn't help but tell him again, I said, you know, I'm an immigrant to this country, and I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here because we have such a great array of freedoms, which is why I think July 4th ought to be declared Freedom Day. Freedom for freedom from, freedom to choose, the highest calling that each and every one of us has, Christian, the ability to choose for ourselves what we're going to do with our lives. I think both of those are skeptics that turn zealotry into apathy, but I think that as honest patriots, we are called to engage our nation with the same love and fidelity with which we engage our relationship with God. If our relationship with God is healthy, it has an elasticity that stretches the pool of our differences without ripping. Our relationships with one another in the church and in our country must be made of that same malleable material, capable and withstanding pressure 
capable of shifting shape without losing its integrity. It's about having a lover's quarrel with a country which you love. From my perspective, the best illustration of a lover's quarrel is of court Martin Luther King when he made that dramatic speech, I have a dream, because he didn't have to invent new values or ideals. Instead, he said, I have a dream today that one day this nation will rise up and live out the meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I think we see people having a lover's quarrel with our country that are involved in, I think, all the civil rights movements in our country because they are about correcting the imperfections of our country. I think about the civil rights movement of the 1960s of the last century. I think about the women's movement in the last century and in this century. I think about the LGBT movement for equal rights in this century. I think about the Black Lives Matter movement of this decade. All of them, I think, are examples of a lover's quarrel in order to create a more perfect union. I always turn to scripture to find out where to go. And I have to tell you that uh, these days, I, sure, I, I am sure that you are feeling some of the same things. Uh, I worry about our country. I worry a lot about our country because I think those two poles of the loveless critics and uh, those who don't have the love for the country are shouting at each other. I think that there are eloquent and powerful forces of separatism that soon, I think, become a garden for hatred in our country polluted as always by suspicion. We've become a country where we use the word us only to describe those of us who are alike. And I think the language we use has become a swamp where healing cannot happen. I'll tell you what I can say about us. I don't think we are ever become a great country until we can become a good country. And what I hear among us is not good. I would suggest to you that we look at Matthew's gospel to pray for your enemy. I think it's important injunction from Jesus as we become good having lovers quarrel with our country. I know it from experience. I also know it because it is absolutely impossible to hold destructive anger against someone while praying for them. And speaking of the real anger, the hot self-righteously delicious anger, the kind that says, I am going to get you. I'm going to cancel the Bill of Rights against you. I'm going to wave the Ten Commandments in front of you in a kind of righteous anger. I tell you this, that kind of anger cannot live in an atmosphere of prayer. Prayer disturbs the ecology of evil. Anger will not thrive where prayer exists. And I think that's one of the marks of a good nation. We who claim the Christian faith are called to pray for others. Jesus doesn't say that you're not going to have people who disagree with you or who will become your enemy. All it says is that you are called to pray for them because when you pray for them, the garden that produces the hatred cannot exist. 
in the letter to the epistle to the Galatians, Paul also gives us some instruction about how to be a good people, a good nation. And there are two things he says. There is need for reconciliation in the community. And it says that the church, he does not commend the church to blind loyalty to one another, but to gentle and honest correction when someone in the community errs. He also says that we should bear one other's business, basically saying keep track of our own responsibilities, but look after the interests of your brothers and sisters in your midst. Be accountable to them as we are accountable to God. I offer these for your consideration. I think today and tomorrow we are to examine our allegiances both to God and allegiance to our country, both important. And if we can take a page from our theological instructions, perhaps our civic activism will take new meaning and we will feel the gentle but insistent pressure that as God's emissary and honest patriots, we are responsible for all. And then perhaps we will have the gumption and the humility to bear the burden of those with whom we disagree, doing right when it is hard for the sake of creating the kind of nation we hope for ourselves, the kind of nations that our forebears, our forefathers and mothers had in mind when they carved out this new American identity those many years ago, creating for all of us an attempt at a more perfect union. Amen. <laughs>